Good morning, church family. So great to be here together with you today. I'm excited as we're continuing our road trip series. This is week four, and we're trying to answer the question, how do you drive when you don't know where you're going? How do you drive when you don't know where you're going? We said that so often life is like you're on a road trip, but you don't know the destination and you don't know the directions. And life just keeps on going. You can't just pull over to the side of the road. You have to drive somewhere, but how do you know how to, where to go? How do you know how to drive? And so we're looking at the life of Abraham in the Old Testament because he's a guy who had to ask this question a lot as well. And we're seeing what we can learn from his journey about how to face the uncertainty that we face in life. So far, uh, we've said that when God shows, you go. That was the first week. When God gives you the directions, you step out in faith. And then the second week, we talked about putting our whole trust in God's promises and living as if they're true. And then last week, we talked about trusting God's timing and being patient. And this morning, we're going to take a little break from Abraham and focus in on Abraham's wife, Sarah. She was a big part of this story, and I think we have something to learn from her today as well. And to set up the topic, I want to tell you a story. When I was a kid, one of the places we would take a road trip to fairly often was the beach. Now, when I say the beach, you may be thinking about the white sands of a Florida beach, maybe thinking about the clear blue water of a Mexico beach. But we weren't quite uh, at either of those places. We were at the brown seaweed-filled water of a Texas beach. Has anybody been there with me? Good. But I was a kid. It didn't matter to me. I was excited about being at the beach. And one thing I remember about those long road trips from Austin down to North Padre Island is on sunny days, sometimes when it feels like we've been driving forever, I would look out the windshield and I would see something like this. Have you ever seen this on the road before? Now, don't say what it is. I know you know what it is, but if you're a, a, a young kid and you've been looking forward to being at the, the beach for weeks and it feels like you've been in the car forever, what does this look like? It looks like the ocean, doesn't it? It looks like water. I would see this and I would get so excited and say, awesome, we're there, we got there. And then, but you know what would happen, don't you? As we would get just a little bit closer, somehow that water would disappear like, oh, what happened? Then I look down the highway, and there's more water down there. Oh, I must have seen it wrong. It's just a little bit farther. So we drive a little bit more, and then the water disappears, only to reappear farther down the road. Over and over again, always just tantalizingly out of reach. Have you ever felt that way in life? Have you ever felt like the place that you most want to be, the thing you most want to have happen, is just so close you can almost reach out and touch it, but right before you get there, it somehow dissolves and reappears farther out on the horizon. I've, I've felt that a lot. I wonder if you felt that way when it comes to your schedule. You know, so many of us struggle with busyness and, and you think, you know, just as soon as I can get done with this project, just as soon as this thing happens, then maybe I can experience that life of peace and calm and joy that those people at church are always talking about. But then you finish that project and somehow that, that peace kind of slips through your fingers and it reappears farther down the horizon. I like the way that one of our uh, old student pastors, Corey, uh, said, uh, said about this. He said that the definition of adulthood is saying, but after this week, things will slow down over and over until you die. I wonder if anybody's felt this way in your marriage. As you think about your marriage, you think, you know, things haven't been that great lately. And if you're honest, it's been more than just lately. It's been a while. But you think, you know, just as soon as this one thing happens, as soon as school gets out or just as soon as the, the baby comes, as soon as this one thing happens, then, then maybe my, my marriage will be what I 
hope for, but then the baby comes or the project ends or school gets out and it disappears and reappears farther out on the horizon. I wonder if anybody's felt this way uh, from a bigger scale, like you thought when you were younger, you know, I don't know about those people in the previous generations, but, but my generation is going to be the one to figure out how to solve the intractable problems of our society. My generation will be the one that can figure out how to treat each other with love and respect, but then your generation grows up and it disappears and reappears farther out on the horizon. In all these situations, you start out optimistic. We're almost there, right? But as you get close, you realize you weren't actually seeing the destination. What were you seeing? Remember the picture? What was it? It was a mirage. And after a while, you start to wonder if the destination really even exists at all. I think that's probably how Sarah felt in today's passage. For us, it's only been three weeks since we first heard God's promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him and out of Sarah. But for them, it's been 24 years. And I know sometimes when you read scripture, you can just skim over stuff like this. But think about for a minute how long 24 years is. That is a long, long time. In fact, think about where you were 24 years ago today. Students, where were you? Nowhere, Nowhere right? <laughs> 24 years ago today, you know what was on people's minds? Y2K. Y2K. You remember Y2K? Everybody was so worried about that. 24, someone just said, what is that? Tell them, <laughs> tell them later. Tell, tell your kids later what Y2K means. 24 years ago, 9-11 hadn't happened yet. 24 years ago, there was no such thing as an iPhone. Can you imagine? How did we live? 24 years is a long, long time. It's been 24 years since God gave them the promise and Sarah still doesn't have a child. And so I've got to think by this, by this time she was wondering if the promise was just a mirage. Well, that's the backdrop for today's passage. The part of the story we're looking at covers several chapters, so I'm going to do a little, little different today. We're going to look at part of chapter 18 and part of chapter 21 of Genesis. So I'm going to start in Genesis 18, and this is a story where three men come by to visit Abraham and Sarah, and the beginning of the chapter tells us that it's actually the Lord who's appearing to these men, in the, uh, to Abraham and Sarah, excuse me, in the form of these men. So we're going to pick up at verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? By the way, guys, don't try to get your wife to call you my Lord. I tried that uh, this week as I was writing the sermon, and it didn't go well. It's been 24 years, 24 years since God gave them the promise. And when, when God dusts off this old promise and says it again, what is Sarah's response? How does she respond? She laughs. She laughs. Now, there are different kinds of laughter, right? Sometimes we laugh when something's ironic or unexpected. Sometimes we laugh when we're just uh, so overwhelmed with joy we don't know uh, what else to do. Sometimes we laugh when our pastor makes a really funny dad joke, or sometimes maybe we just groan uh, at that. I'll spare you the dad jokes today. But I don't think this laughter is any of those kinds of laughter. I don't want to be unfair to Sarah, but my best interpretation of her laughter here is that this is the laughter of the cynic. 
This is the laughter of the person who knows what was just said has no chance of happening. After she laughs, she cynically says, after I'm worn out, (laughs) what a vivid phrase that is, and and Abraham is old, will I really have a child? Now, before you are too hard on Sarah and criticize her for her lack of faith, think about her situation. I mean, really put yourself in her shoes. God gave Abraham and Sarah the promise when Sarah was 65 years old. That was 24 years ago. They They were old then, but they're really old now. I mean, when they first heard the promise, they were just, hey, we're picking up pickleball old. But now, I hope that didn't hit too close to home. I just picked up pickleball. Now they're not just pickleball old. They're dinner at Luby's at 5 p.m. old, okay? Like old, old. But they're not just old. I mean, think about what these last 24 years have been like for Sarah. Just let your imagination go a little bit here. She'd already been waiting so long. She was 65 years old. She was barren her whole life, and then God says, you're going to have a child, and she's so excited, and you have to think she's thinking about, you know, decorating the nursery, but then nothing happens. And she watches other friends get pregnant. She goes to baby showers for friends. She goes to one-year-old birthday parties, you know, the one where they put the kid in the high chair and give him cake for the first time, and it's all over their face. She goes to soccer games for friends' kids. She gets invited to graduation parties. Get this, she even watches her friends' kids grow up and have kids of their own. And still nothing. Can you blame her? Can you blame her for being a little cynical? I mean, she might have believed it could have happened 24 years ago, but that's just too much. She's seen too much. She's been too far. She realized that dream is just a mirage. And she says, I can't handle getting hurt again. I just don't believe it. Life has a way of doing this to us, doesn't it? Man, it has a way of just squeezing the optimism out of you if you're not careful. In fact, I think there's a progression that that many people go through in life. We'll put it up on the screen. It's optimism, realism, skepticism, cynicism. You start out optimistic. You think uh, everything's going to work out. Everything's great. But then you live a little while and you realize that everything doesn't always work out. And so you take a more realistic view on life. Like, well, some things work out well and some things don't, but it's kind of a balance. But then you go a little farther, you get hurt a little more. It's easy to get a little more skeptical, isn't it? Like, I'm not really even sure that things can work out. Maybe it's just a mirage. And then if left unchecked, this progression can take you all the way down into cynicism where you say, you know, I just don't even believe anymore. The destination doesn't even exist. It's depressing, isn't it? But it's true. I've seen this so many times. I've I've even walked part of this pathway, and maybe you have as well. Because when when you've been burned, it's easy to slip into cynicism, isn't it? When you get hurt, it's just harder to trust. It's the way life works. I don't know everything about your story. But I do know this. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been hurt in your life. Maybe it was that you had a big dream for a relationship or a family or a job, and then it all came crashing down. Maybe it was that you put your trust in someone that you thought was worthy of your trust, and they let you down. Maybe a spouse, maybe a a friend or a coworker, maybe tragically even a church or a pastor. And when you've been hurt, when your big dreams are shattered, It's just easy to slip into cynicism. 
You know, one thing about cynicism is it's easy to, easier to see in somebody else than it is to see in yourself. You ever notice that? Sometimes those who are the most cynical have the hardest time seeing it. And so I want to pause for just a moment right here in the middle of the message and ask us to do a little self-reflection. I want you to ask this question, and I'll ask it of myself. Is there any part of me, is there any part of me that's becoming skeptical or even cynical? Is there any part of my life where I've started to give up hope? Is there any part of my life where I'm starting to think that things will never get better? Or I'm starting to wonder if God really can fix what's wrong in me or what's wrong in the world? It's so easy to let this happen, isn't it? It's so easy to slip into the sense of resignation that things just are the way they are and they'll never get better. So we might as well get used to it. We might as well make the most of a bad situation. That's where Sarah was living. As Walter Brueggemann says, Abraham and Sarah have become accustomed to their barrenness. What a, what a phrase that is. They've become accustomed to their barrenness. They've accepted that hopelessness as normal. It's a tragedy. But into this hopelessness, God speaks. Like a brilliant light shining into the darkness, God asks a question in the very next verse that everything hinges on. This is the question that Sarah and Abraham's future hinges on, and it's the question that our future hinges on. Genesis 18, 14, right after Sarah laughs at the idea of having a baby, look what God asks. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is, it. this is God's mic drop moment. This is the question that they have to answer and the question that we have to answer. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do we really truly believe that God can do anything or are there some things that he can't or won't do? Some things that are too hard even for God. Well, if the answer is yes, if some things are too hard for God, then skepticism and cynicism are the right response. Things are the way they are and there's no changing them. But if the answer is no... If by faith we believe that God really can do anything, that changes everything. If we believe that God can do anything, it changes everything. It means that what Jesus said in Matthew 19 was true. He said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, the rest of Abraham's story says, absolutely not. Look at the rest of verse 14. After God asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Despite their doubts, despite their skepticism, despite that it sounds ridiculous for a 90-year-old woman to have a child, God says he will do what he promises. And I love how he says it, too. Do you notice he says, I will return, not I'm thinking about returning or I might return. And Sarah will have a son, not may have a son. It will happen. God will be faithful to his promise. And when will it happen? When will it happen? Say this with me. At the appointed time. At the appointed time. This is such a key point, church. In other words, the delay, the 24 years, was not a mistake. God had not forgotten about Abraham and Sarah. He hadn't turned his back on him. In fact, this timing was part of the plan. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, God is the one who works out everything, not some things, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And in the mystery of God, even the long years of waiting were part of his will. 
And the fact that it took a long time to get there was not evidence that the promise was a mirage. No, the fact that it took a long time to get there was only evidence that God had a plan so much bigger than Abraham and Sarah could understand yet. You know, when I was on the way to the beach as a kid, the fact that, that I thought that I saw the, hot, the water on the highway and it was just a mirage, that didn't mean the ocean doesn't exist. It just meant I wasn't there yet. And just because you're still walking through hard times today is not evidence that God has forgotten you. Friend, it doesn't mean God has failed. It doesn't mean there's no destination. It just means the appointed time isn't here yet. But it's coming. It's coming. God is faithful. As we just sang a few minutes ago, he won't fail us. He will not fail us. I love the way one of the commentators I read last week put it. He said, Abraham and Sarah's anguish turned out to be labor pains. What a beautiful idea that is. What a great image. The pain wasn't pointless. The pain was actually part of the miracle. Just as a mother experiences pain and discomfort as part of the miracle of childbirth, the pain that you and I experience now is not pointless. It's productive. It's leading somewhere. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it, it's leading somewhere. And where it's leading is new life, new birth. And speaking of new birth, after 25 years of waiting, we're finally ready after all these weeks uh, to arrive at the climax of the story. Look, at me now with, uh, look with me now at Genesis 21, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. You see what an effort the author is making to point out that God was faithful to his promise? Look at this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah bore a son to Abraham at the very time God had promised him. Over and over he's reminding us, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's true to his word. Nothing's too hard for him. Nothing is too wonderful for him. The promise is not a mirage. The delay is not a denial. It's just part of the journey. God will do what he says. Always. And now, look at the way that Abraham and Sarah respond. In verse 3, Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And this is so, so cool. Do you know what the name Isaac means? It means he laughs. He laughs. Is that not awesome? Down in verse 6, Sarah explains the name. She says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I love this irony. 24 years ago, when Sarah hears about the promise, or 24 years after she hears the promise and she's reminded of the promise, she laughs the laughter of the cynic. And now a year later, she's still laughing, but it's not the laughter of the cynic. This time, it's the laughter of the amazed. This time, it's the laughter of someone who says, you are not going to believe what happened to me. A 90-year-old woman who, having a baby, who could have imagined? And did you notice that she said the laughter is contagious? She said, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I love that. The impossible has become possible. God has cut through their skepticism. He's cut through their cynicism with the power of his grace. And in response, Sarah laughs 
the laughter of the amazed. Friends, it's so tempting to laugh the laughter of the cynic, isn't it? Isn't it just so easy to go with the flow of culture and to laugh the laughter of the skeptic or the cynic? To just be resigned to the fact that things are the way they are and we might as well just make the most of it? But this story points us on a journey that God wants to take each of us on. Earlier we said there was a journey that we tend to fall into that starts with optimism and ends with cynicism. Remember that? God wants to take us on the reverse journey. God wants to take us from resignation to anticipation. God wants to take us from a place of resignation where we're just resigned to the fact that things are the way they are. We assume that everything good we see is just a mirage and the things we hope for will never actually happen. He wants to take us from that place of resignation to a place of anticipation where we believe that even when things are hard, even when it takes longer than we think it should or we wish it would, that ultimately we believe God is going to come through. This is the journey that God will take you on if you turn to him, if you put your trust in him. By the power of his spirit, God wants to set you free from hopelessness. He wants to set you free from skepticism, from cynicism, from resignation. And he wants to fill your heart with peace and with joy and with hope. He wants to give you a holy anticipation for the amazing things he has planned. God invites us to live a life of unassailable optimism, an unshakable hope in what he is doing in the world right now and what he has promised to do in the world in the future thinking about this sense of um, anticipation and uh, the idea of laughter makes me think of one of my wife Joanna's fun little quirks. Um, I do have permission to share this, but you're going to enjoy this. Uh, one of the th- we love to laugh together. In fact, one of my high goals in life is to come up with dumb ways to make her laugh. I, I try something every day, and uh, she-, she loves to laugh, and sometimes when she really gets going laughing, I mean, like, you know, the kind where you just can't stop, when she really gets going laughing, after she finally pauses for just a minute, she makes this little noise. I'm going to try to demonstrate it for you. I can't do it as well as she could, but it's something like this. <laughs> it's like a little half wheeze with some whistle thrown in. And you know what it is? She's getting ready to laugh again. She's loading the laugh gun. She's like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm just, the, fingers on the trigger. One more joke is going to send it to explode in a volley of laughter. I love it. I love it when I hear that sound. And I love that picture too. And I, I wonder, what if we lived that way, spiritually speaking? What if instead of giving in to skepticism or cynicism, we lived in holy anticipation of the ways God is fulfilling and will fulfill his promises. What if as a church, what if as individuals, we were constantly loading our spiritual laugh gun? What if we we were just eagerly waiting for the next amazing thing God was going to do, ready to burst out in the laughter of the amazed? What would it be like if we truly lived a life of unassailable optimism, a life of unshakable hope where we knew God was going to come through? We can. That's the life that God invites us to through Christ. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood, though. Hear me on this. I am not saying that if you just have enough faith, you'll get everything you want. It's not true. It is true that nothing's too hard for God, but that does not mean that he will always give us what we want in the moment. 
And it doesn't mean that the timing will always be the way we desire. What it does mean is that God will always do what he promised. And God hasn't promised that our lives will always be easy. God hasn't promised that we won't suffer. God has not promised that we will not face pain. But friends, he has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. He has promised that he is working all things, not some things, not most things, working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And he has promised that he will redeem and restore this broken world. He will fix the mess we're in. And that really points us to the larger meaning of this story. You might think this is just a story about a couple who really wanted a child and how God gave it to him. But this, the story is so much bigger than that, friends. The story is so much bigger. This is a story about how when God created the world, it was perfect and good. There was no evil, no pain, no sickness. But then in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Mankind sinned and the, the consequences have been horrific. Mankind had made a huge mess and there was nothing we could do to fix it. And God said, I will fix it. I will take care of it. And the way he chose to do it in an unexpected way that you and I would have never anticipated was through building a family, starting with a senior adult couple named Abraham and Sarah and giving them a child that would become a nation named Israel and building this nation, Israel, from whom a savior named Jesus would come. A savior now who, who through him, anyone who puts their trust in him, anyone who puts their trust in his death and resurrection can find forgiveness, peace, joy, and new life. Friends, God's plan was so much bigger than Abraham and Sarah could have ever even imagined. And God always, always, always keeps his promises. But it doesn't always come quickly. Abraham and Sarah, as we've seen today, had to wait 25 years for their promise to be fulfilled. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but when you look at Scripture, the whole story, 25 years is a short one. 25 years is a short one. Think about uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament. They waited for centuries, for centuries for a Messiah. They were longing, they were hoping, they were praying that someone would come get them out of the mess they were in. Someone would release them from captivity. Someone would bring them back from exile, but they waited and they waited. And don't you know that some of them had to give up hope at some point? Don't you know that some of them wondered if that promise was really just a mirage? But it happened. It happened. Romans 5, I love the way Romans 5 says it. It says at just the right time, at just the right time, Christ died for us. Just the right time, Christ died for us. Before he left the earth then, Jesus promised to come back. He said he would return and he would finish bringing his kingdom. He would come back and make everything right again. He would defeat every enemy. He would wipe every tear from our eyes and that we would reign with him forever. And that's been 2,000 years now. Followers of Jesus have been waiting for a long, long time. But I love what one of Jesus' friends, Peter, said in his letter. You remember this? He said, the Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient. He's patient. Jesus will return at the appointed time. Jesus will come back 
to turn this mess that we have made of the earth into something beautiful beyond what we can conceive. And when he does, friends, we're going to realize that the pains that we're going through right now were actually labor pains. They were actually part of this beautiful plan that he is weaving together to bring new life. And through the eyes of eternity, we're going to see that every prayer we prayed actually did get answered. Maybe not in the way we expected, maybe not in the way that we understood, but God did answer every prayer we prayed. And we'll see that even in the most painful times, God was at work. God was at work for his glory and our good. I love the way that Jesus said it in Luke chapter 6. He said, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You will laugh. Friend, your story isn't over. Yes, we weep now. Yes, we often have to wait longer than we wish we would. But don't give up. Don't give in to skepticism. Don't give in to cynicism. Don't lose heart and don't lose hope. God's promise is not a mirage. It's coming. So let God take you on this beautiful journey from resignation to anticipation. And let's get ready to laugh together. The laughter of the amazed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, life is so tough. Sometimes you know that, but we just confess it to you that so many times it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be skeptical. It's even easy sometimes to slip into cynicism and think that things are the way they are. They're not getting any better. Lift our eyes today. Lift our eyes to Jesus. Help us to see that his work is not yet done. Remind us that you are always faithful to your promise. God, I pray for every person in the room this morning. I know so many are discouraged, so many are facing difficult circumstances. God, I pray you would fill them with hope today. Fill them with faith, with peace, and with joy, knowing that you are good and knowing that you can be trusted. It's in your name we pray together. Amen.